Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 232. If you're in love with cars and you're going to devote a lot of time and energy to it, you really have to kind of follow your heart. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Gordon Maltby. Gordon, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to go, Mark. All right. It's great to have you here. Gordon Maltby has been the editor of Porsche 356 Registry Magazine for 23 years, and his publishing company has several titles on classic Porsches in print. His writing and and photographs have been published in a number of venues that are both print and digital. He joined Motor Books International as their art director in 1984. He went his own independent way a few years later, and after writing the book Porsche, 356 and RS Spiders in 1990, he began to focus his attention on the Porsche 356 model. Gordon lives with his wife in Minnesota, where he is currently in the ninth year of a 12-month restoration of his 1973 911. I love that. Gordon, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and of course your passion for Porsche automobiles? Well, thanks, Mark. Starting at the beginning, I was one of those kids in school who was always drawing. I was always the uh, the art guy, and uh, much of that effort was sort of focused on drawing cars as I was trying to uh, keep the teacher from noticing I wasn't really looking at my algebra book. <laughs> so I was a big fan of Ed, uh, Big Daddy Ed Roth, those kinds of guys. I would draw monsters with uh, dragsters and just really had a this... this uh, idea in the back of my head that uh, cars were pretty important to me and I could create things that uh, maybe other people hadn't thought of yet. Then went on to um, art school after high school and spent a little time trying to be a real artist, painting and things like that, and finally realized that really wasn't going to work for me. So I sort of took a detour and went off into the world of automobiles Went to California, spent some time working with a a fellow who had old Volkswagens, repaired nothing but carbureted VWs, and uh, he would sneer at anything that was fuel-injected, but (laughs) kind of 
cut my teeth on working on old Volkswagens. And uh, from there, I got into Porsches and uh, came back to Minnesota, went to work for a dealership, and I was one of the mechanics wrenching on, at the time, they had Fiats, Peugeots, and Triumphs. It was like the uh, orphan motors. (laughs) Never-ending supply of cars that break down a lot. Exactly. (laughs) Actually, uh, I went from being a mechanic after about a year to selling those cars. And I have to tell you, looking back, it was kind of embarrassing to sell Fiats, especially. (laughs) Triumphs weren't much better, and Peugeots were pretty much sale-proof. It was just amazing that people would even buy those cars back in the late 70s. Yeah. We also sold Mercedes-Benz, so that sort of kept things rolling at the dealership. But uh, that dealership's long gone, but uh, it was a good learning experience. Oh, sure. So I kind of then made another detour and decided that I probably should get back into something having to do with art. And I worked for a printing company that printed magazines. And after a few years doing that, I went to Motor Books International, which I considered at the time to be a perfect job. It was just my dream job. Produced uh, most of the books that they published there, designed, laid them out, did all the advertising. It was a pretty intense job, but a great learning curve. Oh, yeah. Motor Books was started by... Tom Worth, who had begun in his garage back in the 60s, selling subscriptions to uh, mostly English car magazines. And uh, there were only one or two car magazines around at the time, of course. So Tom sort of expanded that universe for a lot of people, then went into selling books. And um, when I went to work for him in the mid-80s, it was the largest publisher and distributor of automotive books in the world. So it was the big fish in a fairly small pond. But it was just great. And uh, at the time, I think there may have been four or five books on Porsche. So when I left Motor Books in the late 80s, I realized there's almost nothing on the Porsche 356. So I uh, talked with my good friend who was still president there, and I said, how about a book about 356s? He was a little skeptical, but I wrote a few chapters, and they said, okay, let's give it a shot. So uh, that book, Porsche 356, and R.S. Spiders was published, I think, about 90-91. And looking back now, um, it's it was it was a pretty simple and straightforward book, but there was nothing else around. I can't think of how many books there are now on the topic, both 356s and Porsches in general. But I was I was kind of a groundbreaker there. And then uh, I went on after a few years of independent work, as they say, to uh, get the contract to publish the registry magazine. And uh, that's what I've been doing for a couple of decades since. And it's been a great ride. Well, it's been great fun. I've been a member of the Porsche 356 Club for many, many years. And I actually own a copy of your book that I bought a long time ago. And I've enjoyed it. Great job there. Yep, it sits on my library shelf. And uh, it's funny how in Minnesota, there's so much publishing going on. And we've had the uh, the current editor of Motor Books on the show here. So uh, yeah, it's a, kind of a small world, but uh, expanding world, if you will. So it's, it's good to see it's kind of come back. Mark, it's interesting that you mentioned Minnesota being sort of a publishing hotspot. Tom Worth is one of the people I admire most. He has um, really, in his company, when he owned Motor Books, it's been 25 years since he sold it, but he's sort of um, generated uh, an atmosphere where he sent people out into the world after training them in publishing 
uh, he would send them out and they would start businesses of their own. This has happened to, oh, I could name a dozen people who are alumni, if you will, of motor books who've gone on to publishing, mostly in the automotive world, but Tom really has, he's kind of created a situation where people could be successful in their own right, and he, he sent them off with his blessings, and it's, it's just been a great situation for so many people like myself. Oh, it's absolutely incredible, yeah. I and, and uh, many others have Tom to thank for that. He's a great guy. Yes, he did a wonderful job. I've had many of those people on my show who've gone on to uh, publish their own books, just as you mentioned. So really fantastic person to uh, nurture and mold people to be able to go off on their own. It takes a special person to be able to do that. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? I know you love to drive, so Gordon, take the wheel. Well, you know, I don't have something that is really a marvelous uh, quote to live by. But one of the things I discovered after uh, spending a number of years thinking I knew everything was that <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what you don't know. And that has really become kind of key. It seems as I get older, I get dumber. <laughs> but I finally, I finally figured out there's a lot of stuff that I need to look to other people to answer for me, or at mm-hmm. least get advice. So that sort of change in attitude has been pretty helpful to me over the years. But there's another quote that goes back to selling Selling Peugeots and Triumphs and Fiats, my sales manager was a marvelous guy. His name was Emmert Carr, and whenever it would get kind of uh, slow around the place, we'd have a used car that had gotten past its first birthday on the lot, or we'd have some Peugeot sitting there that was all of a sudden two years old, even though it was a new new car. Uh, Emmert would say, don't worry, there's an ass for every saddle. (laughs) You know, it's absolutely true in the used car business, in the new car business, and having bought and sold, I don't know, 50 or 60 cars of my own over the years, my wife knows that. If uh, the phone doesn't ring and I have a car for sale, she'll say, don't worry, there's an ass for every saddle. (laughs) I like that. I think it can also be sort of... um, that idea can be transferred to thinking about problems in general. There's an answer for every problem. I sort of transpose that phrase into just everyday life. Things sometimes get difficult, but, you know, in the end, there really is a solution for everything. Absolutely. And I loved your your comment about people because uh, so much of who we are is the culmination of the people we surround ourselves with. Can you maybe elaborate a little bit on that of how you've learn to reach out and trust in people, talk with people, and and how important that's been to what you do? In publishing the Registry Magazine, it really is, even though people give me compliments and say, oh, you're doing a great job. Well, I am, but you know, I'm I'm really just leading the parade. And uh, I can only hope I don't lead the parade down a side street sometime. But we have contributors. In the case of the Registry, these are all really They're not professionals. They're just members who happen to have a particular interest or some extensive knowledge in one area. So we have people who contribute articles to the magazine who really are just amazing. Uh, I think if I was doing a uh, professional magazine and I had to hire people, pay them to write articles, technical articles and, and stories and things, I don't think I'd be doing any better than I am right now, just having input from members of the club. And really, it's a reflection on all of the people who belong to the club. And uh, certainly there are some who 
can't write at all, and it's it's kind of a hopeless thing. Sometimes I get uh, an article that mm-hmm. is is kind of funny the way it's put together, and I think, oh, this basically has to be rewritten. But other times, there's almost nothing for me to do, especially in technical articles. So in the registry, we are very fortunate to have a lot of people who are talented, very knowledgeable, and many of them can write pretty well. So those are the people I rely on, and it's just been great. You know, I've talked to many guests here on Cars, yeah, who share the same concept that it is about the car hobby. The car is important, but the most important thing are the people in the hobby, the people you meet, the people that support you, the people that can help you in many ways. So I understand completely what you're talking about. It's great. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love to learn about that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew that Gordon was a car guy. Oh, I think I knew that when I was um, sitting in grade school doodling. (laughs) But by the time I got to high school, I looked around and realized that I really had some envy for the guys who had the cool cars. When I was 16, I sort of inherited a 1953 Plymouth four-door sedan. It was a brown Cranbrook, and it was uh, kind of like a chastity machine because there was no girl that was going to be seen in that car. (laughs) Uh, It was really a great learning experience because uh, my dad pointed out after I'd driven it for several months that maybe I should check the dipstick, which I'd never thought about. (laughs) And he also said, well, there should be some oil on the end of the dipstick, so learned a good object lesson there. Yes. I also discovered interesting things uh, about the mechanical parts of that car, like you really shouldn't try to repair a broken brake line with Bondo. <laughs> doesn't doesn't last very long. No. So that was kind of the beginning of my enthusiasm and my knowledge about cars. But again, I looked around the parking lot in high school and ugliest guy, the biggest dork in school, had a 57 Chevy. He had plenty of friends because he had the coolest car in the parking lot. Yeah. So Gordon, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and Crawl under the hood and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your career. The most important part of this, of course, has to do with how you overcame it. And what did you learn from that experience? Well, I have to confess that I've led a charmed life. I can't say that there have been any tremendous disappointments or any disasters along my path. Although maybe the low point of my career it was um, having left motor books, I was freelancing. And I have to tell you, I, I really hate that word. But that's what I was doing, just working from home and doing bits and pieces of graphic design and trying to sort of make ends meet. And I, I would tell people, as an old friend of mine used to say back in those days, he was, uh, this guy was, I don't want to say unemployed, but he didn't always have a job. But he would never say that he didn't have a job or that he was unemployed. He would just say, I'm in between assignments. Mm. (laughs) So that's what I would tell people, too. And I I think of those days as kind of being in between assignments. But uh, fortunately, the stars sort of aligned. And my experience working for a printing company that specialized in magazines and my experience at Motorbooks and my background and interest in cars all kind of came together because the registry needed a new editor. Mm -hmm. So I uh, sent a letter to Vic Skirmance, who was a president at the time. Yeah, Vic's been a guest here on Cars, yeah? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. He's a great guy. Well, Vic was sort of in the position of uh, president by default, because the guy who had started the club 
had uh, been publishing the magazine, but it hadn't been on time for a couple of years. As a matter of fact, uh, some issues of the bi-monthly magazine just never made it. And Vic was determined to make the trains run on time. So (laughs) he signed a contract with me that I would publish the magazine. And there were some very severe restrictions in there. If I didn't get it out on time, I wasn't going to get paid, basically. So (laughs) There's an incentive. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. But uh, I got it out on time. I published a couple of more. And then uh, we went uh, to one-year and two-year contracts, and we've been doing that ever since. So oh, fantastic. Been a, been a good relationship for the club and for myself for all oh, these years. Oh, definitely. And us club members really appreciate the fact that that magazine shows up in our mailbox when we expect it. I think those years at Motorbooks paid off because you, know, you can't miss those press dates. They have to be on time because if the book is not on the shelf to be sold, you don't get paid. So That's it. Yep. that discipline came through for you. I'd love to shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum and ask you to share one of those aha moments in your career. The way I like to put this is it's a time when the headlights came on and illuminated your way for a new idea or a direction that you had. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Well, that's another question where I have to say uh, there probably isn't any any illuminating moment in my business <laughs> life. But there was a point about 1990, I bought a new tool. Now, understand over, over all the years, every car I've owned, I've worked on myself. I could never own Porsches if I had to take them to a shop for repair. That just never would have happened. So I've been working on Porsches myself and all the other cars I've owned all these years. In 1990, I bought a lift for my garage. Oh, cool. And this was in conjunction with putting a new roof on the garage where we uh, put in a vaulted ceiling, so there was plenty of room up there. That lift was an aha moment for me. I have (laughs) not had to lay on my back for 15 years now, and it makes all the difference in the world. Yes. I, I call it tool number one, and it's just been a marvelous thing. Yeah, they do change your lives, don't they? Yeah, indeed they do. That's great. I love that. How about proudest moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular during all these years of your career that really stands out for you? Well, I, you know, I'm very proud when I go to registry events and people say nice things about the magazine. And from time to time, I'm, I'm called on to uh, uh, say a few words at a banquet or something. But, you know, that's that's not the centerpiece of my life. Maybe maybe the most fun I've had was uh, at a literature meet. Los Angeles literature meet is a big gathering of Porsche people every year. Oh, it's a great March. event. And quite a few years ago, Jerry Seinfeld was there, as he is every year, and he was making the rounds, walking around table to table, looking at things. And I was busy selling calendars and books at the time, and I was talking to a fellow, and Uh, selling him a book and I looked up and there was Jerry standing behind him at my table. I uh, finished with this fellow and uh, looked up at Jerry. He stepped forward and he said, you're Gordon Maltby. (laughs) (laughs) Now there's a switch. (laughs) Yeah, I guess Jerry knew me because I think one of my calendars may have been up in, in his show on the wall of the apartment or something. But it was kind of fun. That was the first time we met, and uh, he was he was an appreciative fan. But I have to say, I love guys like that who are true enthusiasts. Jay Leno, Jerry, these guys who have a lot of cars, you know, it's not about the cars or the money or the value of anything. It's just loving the cars. 
I love people like that. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. I was going to say, did he ask you for your autograph? (laughs) No. Oh, well, darn it. Well, maybe next time. Hey, let's have a little bit of fun here. I know you've owned a lot of cool cars over the years. What was your first really special car? Well, that would be a 1969 911S that I bought when it was four years old. And um, it was kind of interesting because that car had already been through four Minnesota winters and had rust holes in the rocker panels. Yeah, I'll bet. And other than that, it it, it more or less ran fine. I bought it from a shop that had been doing repairs on it, but the owner couldn't pay for the repairs. And so... uh, they bought it at a sheriff's auction. So, you know, here's a car that had led a tough life, even though it was only yeah, four years old. Yeah, poor thing. <laughs> but I remember driving by this shop in South Minneapolis and seeing this car, and I didn't really know anything about Porsches at the time. So I stopped in and I asked about it, and sure, it's for sale. Would you like to go for a test drive? And I said, sure. So the owner of the shop got in the passenger side. I got in the driver's seat, and, you know, he said, well, the key's on the left. Oh, okay, that's <laughs> kind of strange. So then I, as I, we were sitting there, I uh, was just moving the gear shift lever around before we started. And he looked over at me. I think I must have had a puzzled look on my face, being used to American cars. He said, yeah, it's kind of like stirring a spoon in a bowl full of snot. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, it is, actually. That's a good way to describe it. A little bit loose, that gear shift. <laughs> but that's the way Porsches are. So we went for a drive, and I remember him telling me as we were going down the road, he said, this is an exotic car. And I had never heard the term before. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it is kind of exotic. So we uh, brought it back, and a few days later, I ended up buying that car for $4,000. And... Uh, sold it for probably a $500 profit a few years later. <laughs> yeah. But really, once you start uh, in a 911S Porsche, it's it's kind of hard to go back down downstream from there. But uh, that was the first of about 30 Porsches I've had. So oh, my gosh. They've all been a lot of fun. Well, you talk about 30 Porsches. Let's talk about the one that got away. Is there a vehicle that you've sold that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Oh, yeah, there are plenty of those. But the the one that sticks out in my memory is uh, it was a late 56, early 57, 356 sunroof coupe. And uh, that was another $4,000 car that I bought back in, I think, late 80s. And it really was very original under a crappy paint job. I think back now because that car had a perfect pan, the suspension was intact, everything was good about that car, except this cracking lacquer paint someone had put on it. And for some reason, that just bothered me. So I sold it after a couple of years, and the owner actually lives in the area. I still see the car from time to time, but I still wish I had that car. It was just a beautiful car. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all have those cars that get away, so I understand the feeling. How about current projects? I talked about as I introduced you this 12-month project that has gone on a little (laughs) longer. Is that the one you want to talk about today as far as projects that have you currently excited and fired up? That's the only project left. I just um, sold uh, the last of the Boxsters I owned a few weeks ago, so I'm down to one Porsche. And really, that's fine because I can now focus my efforts on that. It's just a clutch job away from running down the road. And my goal is to drive it to Rensport Reunion this fall oh. in Monterey. Well, I'll see you there. Yeah, that's going to be a great event, I think. So, fantastic. And it's a 73? It is. It's a, uh, it was originally a uh, 911T. It uh, now has a 3.2 uh, Carrera engine in it. Oh, my goodness. 
And uh, I cut the roof off and put a whole sunroof clip on it, so it's a little different than original. I do have still have the original motor. I bought this from a good friend of mine who bought it new, so it's a two-owner car, and uh, I just love it. Fantastic. Well, I'll look forward to seeing that Rensport. Now, here's a very yeah. introspective question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well... Let me think. You know, I have to say that uh, I've always owned a pickup truck because I'm always hauling stuff around. So there's a, there's a real pragmatic side to my uh, car enthusiasm, truck mm-hmm. enthusiasm. And I currently have an Audi Q5 because I can throw all kinds of crap in the back. My wife still can't believe I bought that car to replace a Boxster, but there it is. Yeah. So. And I'm always hauling stuff. Maybe the car that I would love to be would be um, Chevy Chase's car from National Lampoon Vacation, that first Oh, one. gosh. That was the green, Yes. I don't even know what it was. I think it was called a Wagon Queen Truckster or something <laughs> like that. It was, it was just ugly, but it was pragmatic. It was absolutely practical, although, you know, kind of glitzy. It, it, if it was a person, it wore all the wrong clothes. But that's probably me, so <laughs> I could identify with that car. Well, that's a unique answer to that question. I've never heard that one before, so very funny. I love that. So, Gordon, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a word from our sponsor. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at CarpeGear.com, where you'll find The Little Red Racing Car, an award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves The Little Red Racing Car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss, about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at carpegear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's carpegear.com, C-A-R-P-E, gear.com. Okay, Gordon, we're back, and we're entering the last lap, and this is where I fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I'm ready. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? I have to say this would go back to my car selling days and my uh, sales manager. This is a pretty general rule within the whole car business, but they say cash talks, bullshit walks. And you know, it's absolutely true. If you're standing in a showroom trying to sell cars and somebody comes in and they're kicking tires, you pretty much know in a few minutes whether they're serious or not. And I found that, um, you know, you can extrapolate again into almost any part of life with that. If you're serious, if you're real with people and they're going to get that impression, you're going to you're going to be successful. And liter- literally in buying and selling cars, a few years ago, I answered a Craigslist ad for a 914 and it turns out this guy had owned it for 25 years. It was a very clean, very nice Porsche. And uh, it was still in storage. This would have been like in March. So I said, well, uh, you know, you, you want $4,000 or whatever for it? Fine. Where do I send the check? He said, well, don't you want to see it? I said, nope. Your description is perfect. I'll take a chance. I just want to buy the car. So I sent him a check. And uh, a week or two later, I got a call from another fellow who said, I had a deal with that guy. I was going to be the first one to look at it. 
And I told him, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah. All you had to do was pay him like I did, and it would be your car. Yeah. So that whole cash talks business really is true in life. Absolutely. And I have a, a friend who sells cars, and from a seller's standpoint, he always say is, you know, the buyer's as good as his word. That's <laughs> true. So many people say, oh, yeah, I'll come back and buy this and never show up. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Well, I probably don't have any habits that would contribute to anybody's <laughs> success, but I guess uh, I could say that there are a couple of habits that I have been successful in spite of, and one is always having a messy desk. I, I really try, <laughs> but somehow somehow I can never work my way down the pile to the top of my desk, so I've been successful in spite of that. Yeah, it works Other for than, you. It does. It does. Do you have a resource that you'd share with the listeners that you think would be real beneficial for them? I know there's a lot of them out there these days with the internet, but one in particular? Well, this sounds like a gratuitous plug, but the 356 Registry website, for anyone who's interested in early Porsches, it's a tremendous, tremendous venue for all kinds of information. It's Porsche356registry.org. And members, of course, have a lot more ability to um, sort of dive deep into it. But even for someone who's a casual looker, if you're looking for information, want to see what current prices are for cars and parts and things like that, or just uh, get the lowdown on 356s, it's a great resource. I would agree. I enjoy going there quite often. Gordon, would you share a book that you think the Cars Yow listeners would really enjoy? Well, there are so many Yes. I guess uh, when it comes to uh, something that will benefit a person in providing information, there are lots of uh, technical books out there. But one book I really enjoyed a couple of years ago, Brett Johnson published sort of an autobiography of Tolly Arutinov. And I, I have to say, I'm not sure that's how to pronounce his last name. But Tolly is a character with a capital C. His story is just, it's a hoot. So his book is called One-Off, which is perfect because Tolly's really quite a one-off character. But I enjoyed that book a lot. Great reference. First time here on Cars Yeah, so that's fantastic. All right, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for someone who enjoys cars like you. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost. Today I'll buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? Oh, no cost consideration. Yeah, don't worry about well, that. I'll even pay the insurance from here on out. Oh, my. That really leaves it wide open. But yeah. I have to say, tr- truly, the 911, the early 911 sitting in my garage right now, the fact that it hasn't run in about eight years kind of doesn't even matter. I love to just go out there and look at it. So I think that I would be happy with my 73 911. Well, you're going to make it real easy for me. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. You know, I love it when guests say, I've got the car of my dreams, because so few of us really feel that way. There's always that next shiny thing, you know, that could be in our garage. But when you've found Nirvana, you really have found the secret to happiness in life. So it's true. Yeah, that's great. Gordon, you've taken me on a great ride today. And I've so enjoyed your stories. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Oh, it's been fun. Well, good. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your 1973 Porsche 911? <laughs> you know, I guess um, the bottom line is if you're 
if you're in love with cars and you're going to devote a lot of time and energy to it, you really have to kind of follow your heart. There have been times when I've taken other people's advice or just bought a car or sold a car, did something with cars because I thought I should. But really, I think if you're an enthusiast and you follow your heart, do what you really feel you want to do, you can't go wrong. So that's the way to go. Great advice. What is the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the 356 registry? Well, there's our website. That's Porsche356registry.org. We also have a Facebook page. And if you go to Facebook and just uh, do a search for 356 Registry, you'll come up with uh, the news we put up there, which is kind of fun things. And of course, that's available to anybody. And uh, those two resources will guide you toward our club. And I think most people who are interested in early Porsches will find it's a great resource. Have fun. Absolutely. I do have fun on your site, and Facebook is a fun way for car people to connect, just like Cars Yeah has a Facebook page as well. It's a great way to stay in touch with people and uh, share experiences and pictures and things like that. Listeners, you can find links to everything Gordon has been so kind to share with us today at carsyeah.com slash Gordon Maltby. And his last name is spelled M-A-L-T-B-Y. Thank you, Gordon, for being so generous today with your time and your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. been great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!